Mountain Radio, episode 58. Welcome to Roan Mountain Radio. I'm Ken Turner. We're going to jump right into some information because we have two audio clips for you this time, and it's a short time before the fall naturalist rally. So if I get it out quick, then you'll get it quick, and we have time to get to the rally this Friday, which is uh, three days away. So anyway, we're going to talk to Charles R. Smith is uh, the speaker for Friday night at the rally. Really interesting and well, well versed in, in birds, butterflies, flowers, just an all round uh, ex- exceptional naturalist. And I know he's going to be able to uh, share all of that with you. I wanted you to know a little bit about him and hear from him. Um, it's got a book coming out next year, a butterfly book of the Smokies he's collaborating with among just all kinds of other things he's into. So we're going to get to him in about three and a half minutes. But first, I want to tell you about a goat herd that I met last Wednesday, which was September the 2nd, when the Bahatani Goat Project finished for the year. The eighth summer of the Bahatani Goat Project is over. The goats came off of the mountain, and the herding off of the mountain occurred last Wednesday. But I want you to meet one of the most um, well, just awesome. I guess that's the best word I can think of. The awesome goat herd that helped us get the goats off of the mountain. And I look forward to her helping us next time. And I know you're going to hear more about her. So enjoy this conversation with Kevin and her mom, Judy, in the background helping us with the interview. But a totally delightful, delightful young lady. So here she is at Carver's Gap for the Bahatani Goat Project. Okay, this is Ken, and it's a beautiful sunny morning on Carver's Gap. We've just come down off of Jane Bald over Round Bald with 33 goats from the Bahatani Goat Project, and I'm sitting on the fence with one of my, with the most awesome goat herder, and she has to get back to school, so we're gonna make a quick little chat here. And her name is Kevin. How old are you, Kevin? Nine. Okay, and you've goat herded before? No. This was your very first time? Yeah. What did you think about it? It was really fun. Like what? Well, I really love animals, and um, I love spending time with them, and I have ten animals at home, so... You have goats at home? No, ten, I mean, three dogs, three cats, and four fish. No goats? No. Yet? Yes. We could make a deal. Todd had to still got them on the trailer. Have you got a big yard, a big, big bedroom you could keep in them? Yeah. I think we could go pick one out. So how did you get into goat herding? Um... Well, my mom was talking about it um, a few weeks ago. Like, we could go goat herding um, out in Tennessee. And um, I was thinking about it. And then yesterday, she, um, yesterday evening, she was like, Do you want to go goat herding in the morning? We skip school and we get to go goat herding. And so I said, Yes. So would you recommend other nine-year-olds skip school to go goat herding? Yeah. 
Good. So you're going to make a lot of friends like that. Not the teachers. <laughs> so now you're going to you're you're not from Tennessee. No, um, I live in North Carolina. In okay, Oregon. so you're going to walk back to North Carolina when we're done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, cool. So tell me a little bit about what did you think of the goat herd? Was it what you expected? Um, I thought there would be more goats. Right. Um, and I didn't think that we were, like, it would be so open, kind of. Right. I thought there would be, like, more trees and more bushes. But... Like, when we were up at the top, I didn't think it would be so open. Yeah. Did you like it up there? Yeah, it was yeah. beautiful. It is beautiful. Are you going... This was your first time up here? Yeah. Wow. Were you going to come back again, then? Yeah. Okay, so if we do the goat herding again, we want to make sure you're invited. You know that, don't you? Mm-hmm. Okay. And you don't mind skipping school to goat herd? Nope. Okay, next year. Okay. Well, this is awesome, Kevin. So what are you going to tell your friends when you get back home? Uh, I got to skip school to go goat herding. And, and they're going to say, do what? Goat herding. And what are you going to tell them? What, how are you going to tell your friends how you had fun goat herding? Because um, I got to skip school. <laughs> that was the best part. <laughs> I heard you like school, though. Yeah, I do, but sometimes taking a break is fun. Well, this is different. This You don't get to goat herd every day. No. And you no. taste them in the bush. Do what? Now, tell me about that. I didn't see that. Four or five of them got stuck in, um, like, a big Club. bush, um, and the all the other goats went up and were at the top of the other hill right and um and there were goats stuck yeah. in the bush okay mm-hmm. what did you do we well i went inside of the bush and kind of used this stick to um kind of urge um like push them out kind of so you rescued them they would still be stuck in the bush if you hadn't rescued them well i wasn't the only one doing it but you were only you and one adult. The rest of us stayed on the outside. Well, yeah. But you were the you were the best one. You were with them the whole time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for spending time with us, and I hope to see you up here on the mountain again. All righty. We look forward yeah. to it, Ken. Thank well, you. thanks. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, conversation and meeting kevin if you get a chance to she's a very very delightful young lady and the way she handles and gets along with animals i know we're going to see more from her in the future and now i've got somebody else i'd like for you to meet charles r smith charles is going to be the presenter at the friday night presentation for the friends of roan mountain fall naturalist rally now that is coming up in three days Friday the 11th of September. This is 2015. So a little information. He is a uh, native of Tennessee, raised in East Tennessee here, and still has family in East Tennessee. East Tennessee State University double major and also uh, advanced degrees from Cornell, Ph.D. in wildlife ecology. He is an all-round naturalist. His interests go 
the full range butterflies birds insects flowers and just and wanting to get into more and more and more so he's going to be a very interesting person to listen to i really enjoyed our conversation so i hope you enjoy it too and get a little preview of the friday night program for the fall naturalist rally here's charles r smith well uh, yeah i appreciate uh finally being able to to catch up with sure. you sure yeah and i was rereading the uh program notes that gary had typed up oh yeah and and then i mean you started out when you were 15 yeah right with, there in carter county uh, northeast tennessee actually a little younger than i think i was 13 or so but i was 15 before i joined the tennessee ornithological society and got to meet fred Barron and other people that uh, were important to me as a youngster Okay, so you're a, uh, would it be a protege, or he was a mentor to you? Yeah, he was one of my mentors. I had the fortune to be, to get to know Fred. I got to know Dr. Herndon, Wallace Coffey in Bristol, and Ken Dubke, who's now down in Chattanooga, were all in northeast Tennessee at that time, and they all taught me things that I've used throughout my career. Well, that's that's quite a successful learning curve there. Yeah, to, they were, they were really, that. they almost adopted me. They were all old enough most of them would be my grandparents or parents and so it, it fit right in and their kids were grown and out of the house so I guess I filled that niche right and then pursued that on into your degree and uh, mm-hmm. your PhD studies yeah I, I studied and double majored in botany and zoology at East Tennessee State University and then had multiple minor subjects that I studied oh golly so you're you're hard to pin down on when you go into the field and you can look at everything. <laughs> I can, yeah. I concentrate usually on the work at hand, but I know a lot of things that uh, that uh, add to that. I was When I began my work in the Smokies, it's been about five years ago now, I was looking at elk, not for uh, science, but for recreation because they have a nice population. There are about 100 animals in Catalucia Cove and uh, Right. My wife and I were there one evening to, to watch them come out to, to eat, and I spotted an orchid that is fairly, well, it's not common in upstate New York, but I can see it anytime I want to if I want to go look for it. So I, oh, well, that's kind of fun. I took a picture of it, grass pink it's called. And so uh, later on I got to know the botanist down there uh, and told her that I'd found a grass pink orchid in Catalucia Cove, and she said, well, did you take pictures? I said, yeah, I'll send them to you. And I did, and she sent a note back saying it hadn't been seen in the park for 50 years. She she said she thought I was looking at butterflies. And uh, it was late in the day, and there weren't any butterflies, but I was looking at plants, and that was kind of fun. It was a remarkable find for for me. Yes. Well, that is exciting. So then the state naturalist then was excited and yeah the Smokies the national park people were excited about it and they thought that was very interesting so a rediscovery or a rediscovery it hadn't it had been in the park 50 years ago and apparently had not been seen in 50 years but it was just a matter of there not having been anybody in a place where there was some blooms looking for it I guess Okay, right. So it's not making a comeback then. It just... No, I don't quite the opposite. I think that the, the wild pigs that are a problem in the Smokies are, are really causing problems for a lot of plants. Right, okay. That's a neat story, though. Well, it was fun. Yeah, I, I didn't really 
it didn't at the time it didn't occur to me that it might be rare there because I'm used to seeing it here in New York State in the right habitats and so I didn't right. think anything about it until I saw the botanist's name is Janet Rockin she's a, a close friend of a good friend of mine one of my former students and so we were just chatting one evening over dinner and I mentioned it and she said looked kind of surprised and so that that was fun so this, she knew of it as a uh, lost species yeah basically so mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. that's neat one of the things I really wanted to ask you about, mm-hmm. uh, towards the end of Gary's uh, summation of your program description, um, the talk will offer suggestions to help you become a better naturalist or even be inspired to become a new naturalist. Hopefully it will. We'll see. Okay. Um, I'm particularly interested in inspiring uh, younger mm-hmm. uh, ch- children and youth into uh, discovering the outdoors. Yes. Is is this gonna how 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 can we help? How can you help me help them do? Well, that? I'm impressed that you're already doing something with uh, well, the Friends of Rome Mountain already has a program that begins with an X, but I've forgotten the name of it. Oh, oh, right. That's the Extreme Rome Adventure. Yeah, and so I, I don't know what all you you teach in that, but you're taking the first important step, and that's getting students outdoors with you know, older naturalists, I imagine. Right. And right. so you can't. Most of what I learned, I learned on my own with mentors who were older than I, and it's not something that you learn in a classroom. You, right. Best I can do as an educator is give students the tools to educate themselves if they choose to. And so I think that uh, working with youngsters, developing a, an attitude of uh, let me just be blunt about it, of, of getting away from the television, getting away from the computer, getting away from the smartphone, leaving them at home and going outdoors and watching and listening and looking is is something we can we can encourage if we do, and then beyond that to encourage everybody, but youngsters too, to be careful observers and thoughtful observers and quiet observers when they're outdoors um, are important things to teach. I think we can teach them how to identify things and we can show them things, but the other things are more basic skills that uh, they need to have in mind before we start identifying plants and animals. But that's just my bias. The basic skills as far as uh, observation or yeah. scientific? Okay. Well, I wouldn't call it scientific necessarily. That's part of what we do in science, but you don't have to be a scientist to be a good observer. You have to be able to focus and pay attention and think about things. I often comment to my students there's a ratio of speaking to listening that ought to be about, well, listening to speaking, it ought to be about 100 to 1. And there's a ratio of thinking to speaking that ought to be about a thousand to one. So you ought to think more than you talk, and you ought to listen more than you talk. Okay, a hundred to one. I wasn't ready for that, but <laughs> okay, right. And then that, that's that's uh, listening to speaking, and right. then other thinking to uh, listening and speaking about a thousand to one time spent doing those kinds of things. Okay. We we just have ourselves surrounded, and some people who are trained in psychology, unlike myself, agree with this. We are surrounded by so many gadgets right now that we're losing the capacity to think and focus. 
Right. And the smartphone is just an electronic gadget that makes stupid people look intelligent. You <laughs> <laughs> may not want to quote me on that, but that's... Oh, well, we can edit any of this out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I use technology where it's appropriate, but I'm not obsessed or not necessarily married to it either. Right. I've been a computer programmer all my career, and I use it routinely, and it doesn't bother me at all. I actually enjoy doing it. But, you know, you have to step away from these boxes occasionally and look at what's around you and listen to what's out there. My wife and I actually were just out on our deck listening to the insect chorus tonight. It's particularly beautiful. Yeah? You're having good weather, a good summer? We've had a great summer. There was a lot of rain in June, and then we've had a period of relative dry, warm weather, and uh, it's great for for vegetables. We don't have a garden, but we have friends that we get vegetables from. (laughs) It's been good. (laughs) That's the best kind of garden to have is your neighbors. (laughs) I don't know if they have them down there, but we have community-supported agricultural cooperatives up here, so you basically pay a membership fee, and then you go and... When things are in season, you pick what you want to eat and enjoy. It's fresh. Ah, ah, um, it's possible. I'm not aware of any around well, most here. Most people but, down there grow their own vegetables. You've got good soil. Well, <laughs> and, that's true. And a long that's growing true. season, so it's a good place to grow little gardens. Yep, yep, and and it's, it is a, it is a treat to, oh, to get the fresh food. Nothing yeah. better than fresh corn, fresh tomatoes out of the garden. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, maybe there'll still be some when you come down uh, yeah, this so. weekend. Yeah. Well, did I did I address the question you asked about getting youngsters involved? Though I, I'm not sure if I did. Well, yeah, it's uh, there's something that we struggle with with the extreme Rhone adventures. We mm-hmm. have uh, mm-hmm. we realize the short attention span. Oh yeah, yeah. So That's the it, the adventures that we plan are like. Uh, one-hour adventure, yes. a one-hour salamander hike, and then we stop and go, you know, mm-hmm. you choose your own adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a long time even for an adult to pay attention. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> 45 minutes is about right. 30 minutes is better. Okay, right. Um, well, we we could see what we could do to speed that up. That's true. Yeah, or do different things. Sure. I know it seems that, that some things that are associated with youth education about the out-of-doors are emphasizing the sensational at the expense of what's natural and normal and common, I suppose. So I'm, I'm not a not a fan of the sensationalism, but I, I think there's a lot of things. I guess I, as a biologist, a naturalist, I, I think that it perhaps is more important to have students know what a robin is rather than know what its DNA looks like. And uh, DNA right. is important to know about, but it's really important and would be a lifelong knowledge to understand what a robin is and what it does and what a cardinal is and what it does and and other things as well. Right. Yeah, I can I can understand that fully. I think, but what we do try to do is, I guess, focus on a little more sensational to get them off of the couch. You can do that, sure. You know, get their attention thing, first. Right, right. Then hopefully the uh, little spark of interest there that we can fan into a flame of uh, of knowledge yeah. or you got to realize that I'm not a professional indicator I have no background or schooling in right. education of youngsters well, my wife is a professional school teacher or was before she retired but I'm I'm just a college teacher <laughs> just a college teacher yeah well that's um 
I'm sure that there there are a lot of people that get a lot out of your college teaching. I've had some really good students. I have many of them still good friends and colleagues, and, and uh, that's fun. And yeah, that's rewarding to find them in uh, other other parks or uh, or locations and trade uh, information on that. Oh, that's... we do. Yes, I'm working with one of my former students who lives down near the Smokies now on a field guide to the butterflies of the Smokies. We were just exchanging email the other day, and unfortunately, she has a, a commitment to lead a trip. She's a freelance uh, writer and. Uh, tour guide, so she has a commitment to lead a trip and can't get to Roan Mountain, but she'll be doing useful things. Well, now, are you going to connect up with her after the the rally? She's going to be away for, for two weeks, it turns out. Oh, so oh shoot. It's one of the rare times when I've been down there that we won't get to see each other. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's going to be good. Do you have one a of my uh, first students in 1988. She worked for me on the Crestland Birds Project with the Forest Service in 1988. So the one you're still plotting the ground over. Oh, sure. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> well, that's neat. Now, when when do you think the uh, butterfly guide for the Smokies will be, be out? Well, we're under contract to deliver the copy to the Great Smoky Mountain Association in March of 2016. Okay. Okay. Is that a rush job now to no, get we've, it all uh, we've each got uh, photographs. I'm processing my photographs now, and I've written some of the introductory material, and we'll have to prepare about 60 different species accounts to go with it. So it's doable over the winter when there's less time to be out. Right. Well, that, that'll be a good winter project while yeah, the snow yeah. piles up. And I think the Smoky Mountain Association wants it available for the holiday season of 2016. Uh, being the Christmas season? I imagine so, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Well, okay, I guess we can wait that long. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, the, then that would be a fairly localized butterfly book, right? Yeah, I mean, it will be specific to the Smokies, and I'm going to encourage them to subtitle it uh, Butterflies of Great Smoky Mountains National Park and the Southern Appalachians because the Smokies has most of the species that occur in the southern mountains from actually about uh, Shenandoah Park South. There's a lot of overlap between Shenandoah Park and the Smokies. Right. Okay. Oh, good. Good. That that will cover the area that I'm really in. Oh, yeah, it'll cover. That definitely includes species that occur in northeast Tennessee and northwestern North Carolina, for sure. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. Well, that'll be great, Charles. Um well, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Anything I don't want to give away the ending of your presentation or anything, but anything in particular you'd like to to let the people know about what to expect, what hmm. to expect the unexpected, I guess. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I'm in I'm in the business of making converts in this case. Oh, no, nat wow. natural history and, and natural history is a tool for conservation, too. And I'm impressed that the Friends of Rural Mountain has a lovely website. And I read in the newsletter that there's a fellow that's been doing butterfly counts in the area for 23 years, I guess. So a fellow named Don Holt. Yes, and, yes. Uh, he's got four years on me. I've only been doing mine locally for, for 19 years this year. Well, good. Well, you you'll enjoy me. I hope Don's coming to the to the mm -hmm. rally. I know he's uh, he has to work. Well, he is leading one of the yeah. One I of think the so. Hikes. Yeah. Yes. I mentioned him in the talk, so I hope he's there. Okay. Yeah, I was just trying to see the 
uh, 10 o'clock butterfly hike and yeah. other insects on Saturday. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. All right. And my wife and I are pretty interested in the geology hike, too, if it's not too crowded. That's uh, an area that I know don't know very much about. I was just reading Jennifer Bauer's book, which, if you've not read it, is absolutely fantastic about the Isn't whole mountain that area. Good? Yeah. And it's got some great introductory information about geology. Yes, that is that is my go-to yeah. solution for any questions about Roan Mountain. It's kind of exciting in a way. My grandmother worked at the Cloudland Hotel, probably oh, really? as a waitress, I'm not sure. And she and Sherman Pippen were good friends. And I remember Sherman visiting us when I was probably between six and eight years old. I wasn't very old at all, but I sure do remember him as being a sort of a striking fellow who was friendly and happy and had good stories to tell. Wow. So there's a connection from long ago to the Cloudland Hotel that I'm kind of excited about. I wish I, wish I knew when she worked there. We never talked about it because when I was that age, it didn't, I didn't even know Rome Mountain existed. But Right. I know um, it. We I haven't know. been able to research and find out when she was there. My wife is doing genealogical work on my and her family, and, and there's sort of a, it's hard, Northeast Tennessee being Northeast Tennessee, there's not a lot of written records of history. Right, right. But I did have a great-grandfather who was in the uh, Union Army in the 13th Tennessee Regiment, so in Carter County. <laughs> wow. So that was fun. Well, yeah. So that yeah, born and raised here mostly then. Yeah, weren't for you? sure. My family's okay. been there for over well, almost two hundred years, I guess. Yeah, that's that's quite a yeah. Jennifer's book. It's I'm, I'm amazed she hadn't mentioned your your relatives in the book. Oh, no, she didn't. <laughs> she doesn't even know that. I don't think. <laughs> I talked to yeah. her. Uh, she was at Sycamore Shoals last summer when we were there, and we chatted about a lot of things, but I didn't uh, tell her much about that. <laughs> She'd love to know that. Yeah, she would be I interested. That's, uh, well, that is an amazing connection to look back after all this time and say, wow, yeah. and wish we could have asked what we know now, the questions we would like oh, to ask her. Oh, it would be great to know some of these <laughs> things. But, boy, she has done so much work in writing that book. I'm just amazed at all the research she did in the old literature and the old records. and It's just a beautiful little book. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. Highly recommended, and you're you need to leave one of the uh, 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 review on the Amazon oh. <laughs> site for her. I mean, she would sure. appreciate that. Yeah, I haven't, yeah. I haven't done that. Yeah, put a five star up there, and mm-hmm. that'd be neat. Yeah, yeah. I'm such a slow typist that I don't do a lot of interaction <laughs> by computer. Sort of use the the Columbus method. Method. I pick a key and land. <laughs> the Columbus method. I like that. I hadn't heard of that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Charles, I know you're packing to uh, yeah. to hit the road. Just about got it done. All right. Well, I'm. Uh, I appreciate your time and uh, look forward to yeah. having you join us Friday at the Friends of Roan Mountain. Look forward to uh, to meeting you. I'll see you there Friday afternoon. I guess. Okay. Thank yeah. you, Charles. Thank you, Ken. Have, have a safe trip. Mm-hmm. Bye bye now. Bye bye. Wow, I am really looking forward to this weekend. Charles, uh, we just had a delightful conversation. I had to edit quite a bit out of that because we just talked and talked and talked about all kinds of things. Um, his work that he's doing now for a dollar an acre up in North in uh, Ithaca, New York. Uh, ask him about that. Also, his uh, book coming out and his projects in the Smokies and 
adventures all over. He's just a very well well versed naturalist. I think you will enjoy enjoy listening to him. So that's coming this weekend, September 11, 12, and 13, the Fall Naturalist Rally. Links at the bottom of the website, friendsofroanemountain.org. Links at the roanemountainradio.com, the episode 58. The links to the registration page, the schedule page. Be sure if you've got kids to download and print out the kids' activities schedule. It, it's going to be a full day of it and a great day on the mountain. Let's see, links to there, links to there. Also links uh, back to the information for the let's see, registration. That's probably it. That's enough for this week. I appreciate it. I'm Ken Turner. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you on the mountain.